My name is Philip Palumbo, and I'm CEO and founder of Palumbo Wealth Management. Welcome to my show, The Palumbo Show, where we will be interviewing some of the most successful business owners and C-suite executives about their journey to success. After 20 years of working for some of the largest Wall Street banks and having the courage to go off my own, I now completely get it. It changes your inner soul because your name is on the door and it gives you a certain level of energy that is unexplainable. I am looking forward to this journey and learning from these self-made business people, their struggles and their successes, and how we can use that to optimize to our fullest potential, how we serve our clients and how we live our lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Palumbo Podcast, where we introduce and interview some of the most successful entrepreneurs and learning from them on how they got to the top. Today, I have with me Shannon Huffman Polson, who has her own firm, where she's a keynote speaker and talking about leadership and how to get to the top in, in business, et cetera. The name of her institution is called The Great Institution. She's been doing it for 14 years. She started, she was in the United States Army as a captain and pilot and been one of the first women to fly an Apache helicopter. So Shannon, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. All right. So, so let's start first with your experience in the Army. How has your experience in the Army helped you in your career? And what did you learn from that? I mean, so much for sure. Like I, I had the opportunity a number of years ago to be, as you mentioned, one of the first women to fly the Apache helicopter in the U.S. Army. And I served leading three different line units on three different continents before transitioning through my MBA at the Tuck School at Dartmouth and then spending some time in the corporate world as well before going on uh, on my own with the Grit Institute. And yeah, when I think back to those lessons and those experiences from the military and bringing that forward into both my corporate career and then being able to take the best of both worlds, right, and be able to offer that now to my clients today, I really look at kind of three primary areas and uh, it breaks out in the grit factor in the book, the grit factor as well, right, is this kind of commit, learn and launch. And that is this important base and foundation of owning your own story to begin and connecting to a core purpose. That's really the base and foundation of grit resilience in any kind of success, I think, is that deep introspective work. And then from there, it's pretty external. It's looking forward with deep engagement in the present. That's building your team. That's building the art and the science of active listening. And then it's building the mindset of grit and resilience. And there's several different components of that mindset that are pretty critical. And then finally, you're looking towards launch. And launch is grounded in the past, deeply engaged in the present, and then looking towards the future with audacity, which is the willingness to take risks, right? To, to face failure, to be able to get up one more time than you fall down, uh, with authenticity, true to who you are, and then with adaptability, which is the ability, of course, to be creative in your approaches with complete and total faith in the end. So, so how did you decide to go into the Army? Is it, is your family members, are they, are they in the Army as well? I was ROTC when I was at Duke University, and so uh, I didn't have a big family history. My father had been in Army JAG. He was drafted out of law school for Vietnam and served four years up in Alaska, which is where I grew up. So that's how I had been, I guess, exposed uh, up until about the age of one and with his picture on the wall after that. But he was always very proud of his service and the concept of service. So I think that concept of service and service above self very much came from that family history. Uh, but it also was a way to help pay for college. Right. <laughs> so that's great. Did you enjoy your experience in the Army? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's the highest highs and the lowest lows, right? It's a pretty intense and pretty insular culture. So, I mean, flying missions is is pretty phenomenal. On deployment, you're so incredibly mission focused. I had the chance to serve both as part of the stabilization force in Bosnia in 1997. We flew armed aerial reconnaissance in support of the Dayton Peace Accords. And then again in Korea. So I was kind of between the deserts. But in Korea, it was, you know, it was actually this, Madeleine Albright called it the most hostile border in the world only a year after I left. That, of course, is, you know, is, has now changed. But um, but it was a pretty intense experience that was incredibly mission-focused and very, very purpose-centered. So I'm so grateful for that experience. Um, worked with some of the best people that I'll ever know and, and some of the worst. So I think it's it really is the bell curve of all of those things. Right, right. I'm sure it was. So thank you for your service. Absolutely. It's an honor. So now take me through in terms of you, you have your own company now for 14 years. How did yes. that develop? Is it something you've always wanted to do? Why aren't you working for a corporation? Yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, I think I am definitely more suited to 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 work on my own. Although I have lo I have worked obviously for the largest organization uh, in, in our country with the with the U.S. military for some time, and and some other pretty big ones, right? So a large medical device company, and then uh, a large technology company at Microsoft for a while, and uh, and they certainly it certainly has its benefits, and I learned a tremendous amount from all of those experiences. I really enjoy the chance, though, in a way that the military sort of offers with a small unit sort of a thing where you, you're wearing many, many hats, right? And you're ultimately responsible for the success or failure of what it is that you do. And I love that. Like, I, I love the, the challenge and the opportunity in that. So the Grit Institute came about um, really as I started. I left Microsoft to write my first book, which is called North of Hope. It's, um, not, it's a much more personal book, but there's a lot of grit and... Uh, a challenge in that one as well. It's up in the Alaskan Arctic uh, following a family tragedy. And then I started to speak to organizations about the power of narrative to shape your experience. Narrative, of course, connects to marketing, it connects to politics, but it also connects to our individual journeys in our, uh, whether it's a corporate life or, or a life as an entrepreneur. And so that was a really powerful foundation that started to continue to grow as I started to leverage those experiences from the military and realize just how important those were for success, um, both in my own life, but how I could help to teach others as well and, and help them to leverage those same things for their own success. So that was sort of the genesis of that. It, it really began with the keynotes and the keynotes are still a very, very big part of what I do, both virtual keynotes and in person to big companies and organizations. But also then doing this this training, this both synchronous and asynchronous training that is both in grit and resilience, but also in purpose and exploring purpose and in many ways following these studies that McKinsey did last year during the pandemic to say that, you know, purpose is directly connected to employee longevity and performance and engagement and really to the way that we are able to to find meaning in life, which ties directly, of course, to how we show up and, and, and how we do. And so seeing that need for that, really doing and having done a lot of the research on that, entering into that research through story, because our brains process information in the form of story, was this incredible opportunity. So I have absolutely loved seeing the transformation that comes about as a result of that. Um, I love doing the story and the research piece as well. The writing has always been a passion of mine. So it's really pulling together the experiences as well as this desire to, to write and, and to explicate these ideas and then to make them work in people's lives. It's absolutely fabulous. Terrific. So how did you go with this word, grit? What made you really run with the word grit? 
Yeah, I grew up uh, with that word. My dad used that word with me all the time, um, that that was, that was the key to success. And, uh, and as I thought back over my time in the military, I used to think like I, I always had grit. I didn't always have grace, <laughs> but, I, but it definitely took grit, right, to, to be able to get through. And then as I was doing the interviews for the grit factor, you know, the grit factor came about when a young leader asked if I would mentor her as she began the same journey that I had taken these number of years ago, you know, down to Fort Rucker, Alabama, becoming a pilot and an aviator leader. And I thought, wow, how do I scale what I offer to this leader? And if I do that work, which will be significant, how do I scale the people to whom it's offered? And I started this series of interviews of leaders in the vanguards of their field. So they happen to be women, they happen to be military, they're the general officers from across the services, right? Aviators from World War II to the present, and many, many more, one of the first women army rangers. And they shared their stories so incredibly candidly, and the lessons learned so candidly, um, and, and what came out of all of these was this element of grit, right? There's this, and I call this this dogged determination. And it's a dogged determination in the face of really difficult circumstances. You know, Angela Duckworth obviously calls it passion and perseverance towards a long-term goal. If it's not, there are some times that you're working towards that goal. There's some times that it's just that life is tough, right? The last two and a half years have been really tough for the entire world. And you've just got to believe in the end and continue to work through, you know, with creative strategies, because some of them aren't going to work. Some of them are going to fail and you continue to adapt and you continue to find new ways to, to reach that objective. Uh, that's great. I tell you, grit is, is a word that I did not grow up with. And it's a word that I eventually learned one day. I'm like, oh my gosh, my, that is a summary of everything. Yes. There is no doubt one of the key formulas in succeeding in anything, not just career, anything, sports, yeah. uh, school, academics, is you have to have grit. And what I mean by grit, right? Like, for example, when I started my firm, I was at all the major wirehouses for 21 years, all the major banks, right? Sure. So three of them, Merrill Lynch, Barnum, and um, UBS. And when I went on this journey to make a transition, I, I had to learn about starting my own firm and what was involved. And I remember I was going through that process. There was a, a moment that I had, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is daunting, right? Sure. At that particular moment, because I was going through so many things, there was so many moving parts, et cetera. But then I just, my mind is always just like, all right, I just fought through that moment that I had. Yes. You know, which was this feeling of grit, like, and, and you just fight through it and you fight through it and you climb, you climb, you climb. And then obviously here I am today, right? So, but it's, but it, that's only that one particular moment. That moment has happened numerous times throughout my life. Of course. Right? Whatever, whatever it was. And it's just that feeling you get where you almost like say, oh, you want to just take a step back and not move forward, but you got to punch forward. And that's what grit, and that's what grit is all about. And that's something that I don't know, can be taught, but maybe can't be, can't be taught. But that's really the key ingredient to getting to a very high level in life. I, I couldn't agree more. No, absolutely. And I, I do think you can teach it. I, you, you can, in fact, teach it. You can absolutely teach it you, and you can develop it. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the person has to make that decision for themselves. Are you going to take on the challenge? Are you going to push yourself that extra mile? Are you going to continue through when you feel like, you know, stopping? And, and that's an individual decision that we all make at the end of the day. But we can learn tactics and techniques to, to get further in that. And those are all part of the grit factor as well. Yeah, and I do think a lot of it could be taught me when you're young. And I give you an example, which has nothing to do with business, but I coach lacrosse and these yeah. younger these younger players, you know, some in travel lacrosse, it's pretty serious the way everybody takes it, et cetera. 
So some of these kids are not up to par with other kids and parents are saying, hey, maybe we should move to another team, kind of intra-season, things like that. Sure. But they're asking me, well, what do I think? And I said, I think you should talk to your son and say, you got to step up. You got right. to fight through it and you got to get better and try sure. that line, you know, that, 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 that level that you want to get to to get in front of the person that's in front of you. And I think like, like where some parents just want to kind of give up and say, oh, let me move to another team or... It's like, no, like you got to teach this now because there's going to be so many opportunities or situations rather that your, your children are going to be in that if you don't teach them at a young age now, they're always going to think it's okay just to walk away. Absolutely. I mean, I, I could not agree more. I just had this conversation with a friend yesterday and my kids are, are Nordic skiers uh, primarily. That's their, their, their primary sport, which is this wow. fairly masochistic sport. And, uh, and her kids are, are, one's a rower and one's a basketball player. But we were talking about the different kind of both team dynamics, how important it is actually to learn to be part of a team and to support the team. It's not about you. It's about the team, right? And, and you've got to learn that by good coaching with people like you at a young age. And you've also got to learn to, yeah, push through the hard times to really be able to, to, uh, to do the work, right? You do the work. If you have the goal, you've got to do the work. And, uh, and, and this is exactly the time to learn it is as a young person. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, Shannon, a lot of people look at where you are in your position, maybe where I am in my position and many others take Jeff Bezos and, and Elon Musk in the level that they're at. Right. And people think like, oh, gosh, look how easy they have it. They, you know, they, they're worth a billion dollars and they must have it so easy. Well, people forget what it took for these people to get where they are and the level of grit that they needed That's to get right? pushed through every single day you know, to get to their level, which is just I, I can't even fathom that. Right. But obviously they did it. Sure. So like people who are not there, right, they just they don't they don't get it what it takes to get there. You know, and, it, and yes. it's, it's just level of grit. You know, which I was so excited, excited about this podcast with you today because it's such a word that I admire. I think it's a phenomenal word that should be taught like more and more and more so people understand it. Absolutely. So have you you found that to be true too, where people say, Oh, look at this person, they have a great they have a great life and they drive this and they live here and all these Absolutely. types of things, and they think, oh, you know, they have it easy and they look at many people like, oh, they have it easy, but they don't understand what it took. What is your point? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's so many ways to deconstruct that. I mean, first of all, you don't know what goes with that either, right? Like if I, I mean, if you're willing to sacrifice your family and <laughs> and, and and make many questionable moral choices, I, I don't know. I mean, knock yourself out. I'm not willing to do that. So so there are various pieces that play into that as well. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, most of the journey, and I've been talking to my son about this just to bring up the kids and sports and all those sorts of things. I was like, you've got to learn to love the journey, right? Like the whole point is you have to love the journey because most of the journey, nobody sees. And it's not the point that they see it. The point is that you love the work. You have to learn to love the work because the work is where it's at. It's where it's fun, right? And ultimately, when you're willing to do that work, if you're willing to do that work, then then that's when the results come. And they're going to come later. And you're not going to care as much about the results. I mean, all of us that write, for example, you write a book, everyone thinks that you write a book and suddenly like your life is all roses. No, you write it, it, pub- it publishes, and then you, you get back to back to doing work on the next book or you get back to doing work on something else. It doesn't, it doesn't really change anything because it's about the journey. It's not about what comes out of that journey. And uh, you're absolutely right. Most people don't see the journey. And it's not about people seeing it anyway. It's about being in the moment and doing the work and, and being with the people that you want to be with. And I think, um, 
you've got to come back to what that story is, what matters, what your priorities are in life, and make sure you're connected to that purpose and that story, right? Again, that's that foundation. And then you just do the work and learn to love that work. And at the end of the day, the, the results come from that. It's really true. You know, what I find with a lot of people, you nailed it. I mean, this is what you do, and that's why you created what you do. Yeah. It, people don't know where they're going. They don't know what journey they're on. That's the problem. Yes. People don't take the time to sit back and say, okay, what is the vision for my life for the rest of my life? Like, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? What mission am I on? Right. If you understand what that mission is, then everything else follows, right? Yeah. But the problem is, is people have no idea what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what journey they're on. And 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 because people, I think, sometimes don't take don't take the time to sit back and just be by themselves for a certain period of time and ask themselves these questions. Write it down. You know, what is it that you want to achieve out of your life? What does the vision look like? Absolutely. Do you agree with that? What are your thoughts regarding that? Well, I mean, 100%. I mean, it's so, it, the, the introspective work is critical and it's something that we need to set time aside for, you know, Bill Gates sets aside, what, a week a year for his think week, right? And, and whether it's a week a year or whether it's a, an hour a week or whatever it is, taking that time for that introspection is is critical to a well-examined life and and keeping your life moving in the direction. And And the other thing I would say, though, is, it's okay, especially for people, I mean, actually, especially for all of us, let's, you don't need to know the end goal of, of 90 years, if you're lucky, right? You need to do the best you can, the best work you can, show up the best you can, contribute the best way that you can where you are right now, and then continue to do that introspection. And if you decide to change course partway through, I mean, most people do, right? It's okay. But you, uh, I always talk to the young people today and, you know, there's all this job hopping happening and I'm like, look, don't, don't just leave because you're not sure of something. Stay long enough to learn something significant and contribute something significant. Get really into where you are, like take it in full, full on. And then if at some point you want to change direction, that's fine. But, um, but make sure that you're staying there long enough to have really, made something of that time that you're there, both in what you contribute, think about that contribution, but also what you can learn and take with you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Contributing and purpose. I think that's real. Those, those couple of words you just said, you said it before as well. And you said, you know, purpose, people must feel, right? Yes. Like, you really have to say to yourself, like, what is my mission? What's my purpose? Yes. You know, for me, as a wealth manager, my purpose is, and I just know a prospective client yesterday and we were going back and forth. And I told her, like, I'm on a genuine mission to, help my clients achieve peace of mind. So when they go out there in the world and live, the, live their life, driving in their car, going to play golf or tennis or going to visit grandchildren. And if they think about money, I want them to know in their head, like, oh, Phil's got it. Okay, then the, the, the anxiety thought leaves their head and they sure. go back on track. So that's, so that's, my, that's, that's my purpose. That's my mission. And, yes. and it's so true when you say, you know, people have to, understand what your purpose is and, 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 then, and then go with it, you know, as you go through your journey. So I want to ask you, Shannon, as you, as you do your keynote, let's say you were doing a keynote presentation for us right now. Sure. What, what are the top three things, messages between your book and your keynote presentations? As you think about all the work that you do and your experience, what are three things you can tell us that is so important? Sure. And I will tell you, Phil, that anytime I give a keynote, I make sure that I'm connected with the client so that I understand what the client needs and that audience needs. Because at the end of the day, yes, I have 
a lot of important messages that I think are that I know work well, right. but what works for you is going to be specific. And so before I give a keynote to your organization, I'm going to talk to you about what your organization needs to hear to be able to be selective. But I'll, 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 I'll pick a few for you just um, sure. just because the first one, and I always like to tell this through a story is uh, is walking out on the tarmac towards the Apache helicopter that I'm, I'm going to fly for the first time. And it's a winter day in Alabama. The sun's not quite up over the horizon. I have my flight suit jacket zipped up against the cold. And I walk out on that tarmac and I see this Apache crouching there, right? It's 58 feet long. It's 18 feet wide. It's 12 feet high. And uh, it's on its nose are three different sight systems that see in day and night in adverse conditions, has three different weapon systems. It's the most technologically advanced helicopter in the world. And I walk out on the tarmac towards that aircraft and I think, who am I to fly this thing, right? Like I was an English major in college. Yeah, and yeah. on the tarmac in that moment, there's two things that need to happen. The first one is I have to own my own story, right? And we just, we've talked about this earlier in the podcast. You've got to own your own story, take control of your own narrative. You have to make the decision that you're supposed to be where you are doing what it is that you're there to do. So I walk into that, I walk up to the aircraft, I get into that front seat cockpit, do the run up procedure, and then we taxi out towards takeoff. And here's the second part of what I want your audience to hear and people to take away. And I love this so much, but I'll ask in a keynote to an audience. And I just talked to, um, you know, 500 people up in New York last weekend. I said, which way do you take off in the Apache helicopter? And they'll raise their hands and they'll say up. I'll say, well, up is the end goal, right? But in the Apache, like in any other aircraft, you turn the nose to face the wind. You face the wind. And when you use it the right way, the resistance will help you to rise. So one thing I want everybody to take away is that you have to face the wind, right? Whether it's facing your past or facing the challenge or facing the opportunity, you've got to turn towards it and fly directly through it. So that would be number two. So those are two things in the first piece. The last piece that, well, actually that's, I mean, technically that's one of the stories. I'll give you the last two more quickly, although I can tell you lots of stories for them as well. The second piece that I would say is critical to grit and resilience is developing the mindset. And it's both growth and stress mindset. There's two different components of this growth mindset research. And then the second piece is this mindset of grounded or measured optimism. And there's this Stockdale paradox that many of your listeners actually may have read about. You may have read about in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Admiral Stockdale was a POW in Vietnam for seven and a half years. And they finally, he's finally released. He's been tortured. He's had his legs broken twice. He was in solitary confinement for half of his time. They say, what was the difference between those who lived and those who died? And he says, well, those who, who died were the optimists. Now, there, there's a catch, there's a, there's a catch line here because he was a Stoic, right? Stoics don't believe in optimism. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, he says, here's the Stockdale paradox. You can never, ever lose faith that you will ultimately prevail in the end, balanced with the realities of what you face in the present. And to balance out Stockdale's paradox, three separate independent Navy studies showed that optimism was the key to survival for, for POWs in Vietnam. Three separate independent studies all found that same thing. So that's that measured optimism. Without that, you cannot go anywhere. Yeah. And when I talk to people in the nonprofit world or the corporate world, they're like, oh, gosh, it's just tough. Because I'm like, yep, you're, you're right. And there's nowhere to go with that, right? But if you're like, how do I get there? I know we're gonna get here. We have to get here. How do we find the way? Now we have a place to talk. Now we have a way to go. So the third thing I would say is the courage of ownership and ownership, you know, in the military, you learn in business, you learn that a leader owns everything that they do or fail to do. 
A leader owns everything that their team does or that their team fails to do. That's hard, right? It's tough because it's scary. I mean, it's there's both facing fear and there's facing failure. Every leader knows that failure is part of the path to success. And so the key is, and I always tell audiences is it's not failure that matters. It's what you do with it that counts. Because a owner a leader has to own everything that they do or they fail to do. And that's where the really great stuff happens. But it's also where it can get a little scary. So what do you do when you're frightened? What do you do when you fail? It's normal to be afraid. It's normal to be worried about failing or or to be ashamed when you fail. Right. You do the same thing you do on takeoff, right? You turn to face the wind and you move directly through it. So those well, are your three takeaways. That is terrific. That is really, that is really, really cool. Really love the story and integration. That's awesome. What is your what is your view as far as leaders, owners, and executives staying organized throughout their day? You know, for, for me, I think, uh, and I've tried now, as all of us have probably many different things, I think time blocking is essential. <laughs> time blocking is essential, and those time blocks have to include some time where you're not doing anything, because that's where the creative work happens. That's where you you go for your walk or you start to, you you clear your mind. So in terms of organization, I think you, you establish your priorities, and I think time blocking is, at least for me, by far the most effective uh, method for, for being able to get things done that need to be done. Could you explain to me your method of time blocking? What do you mean by that exactly? Do you go into your calendar and write in time block? Like how do you yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go into my calendar and I actually block out time. So there's time, for example, to work on writing. If you don't block out time to work on the writing, which is, of course, the idea synthesis, right, and generation and and uh, explication. And I, I love that. Like, I love that creative work and that creative time. I think it contributes directly to the success of what I can deliver to my clients. And so I have to block out that time. And that means that there's no internet, there's no calls, there's no anything else. There's just that time. Uh, once a week, I'll block out time once or twice a week to record a podcast uh, that may or may not be released, you know, for another several weeks or months. Uh, I will also block out time. I have two young boys. And uh, so I'll, especially in the summer, I have time blocked out to make sure that I am uh, getting them to where they need to be. Um, but then I also have time to block out for business development, right? So you have to block out that time to say, here's my priorities for the day. I have my writing time. I have my business development time. I have my check my email time. I should be a little bit more disciplined on that part. I will tell you, I'm not as disciplined as I need to be on that. It's, beca um, it's, becoming, it's becoming overwhelming email. It's we have to find something different because it's becoming way overwhelming. It's totally overwhelming. No, I agree. And then there's the marketing time. So like for me, I've got to do my, I do a lot of my own work or I have contractors doing it for me, but I still have the, the management of that to do. So there's a marketing period. There's a business development period. There's the creative generation period or product development. You could call it as writers wouldn't like to hear that, but um, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. So, that's so those great. are all key pieces of, of uh, what I'm doing. And of course, the only time that gets adjusted is, is family requirement or a keynote of course, or travel. So that's great. That's great, Shannon. This has really been excellent. I mean, this advice you've been giving us perspective, you're really great at what you do. Thank you. No, I, I love it. I, I have both that purpose and that passion. And I love to see the transformation in, in clients, both personally and in their organizations, which is just absolutely a, a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely. It's what it's, it's what it's all about in the end of the day. Like you said, your purpose, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, Jen, thank you so much for your time today. I pre appreciate you joining us on the Pod Palumbo podcast today and look forward to speaking to you in the future. Phil, likewise. Thanks so much for your time and for this wonderful conversation. Thank you.